So, Christina, I have to ask you, okay, so we're going to get to the whole flamethrower thing later in the show, but have you thought about turning your cast into a flamethrower or doing something (laughs) awesome with it? Because that would be the most awesome Cloud9 video of like Christina Warren out there with her flamethrower cast. You're not wrong. You're you're not wrong. I was actually thinking about it and I actually did kind of ramp. I was like, could I buy this and expense it? And I didn't get a no, but I didn't get a yes. I didn't get a no. But I'm also, I kind of looked at it and I was like, I'm going to kill myself if I buy this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll save it for when we discuss it, but that, that, we'll, that's we'll a good thought. Save it. We'll save it. I don't know. I I had that thought about Christina Warren having a flamethrower cast, and I looked on Etsy to see if there were like people that made custom flamethrowers, and there are not. There's a whole market that's missing there. It's very tragic. It, it is. Thank you, Alon, once again <laughs> for changing the world. Um, he's going to take us to Mars. He's going to make flamethrowers accessible. He gave us PayPal. He also gave us Peter Thiel. So that sucks. But, yeah. you know, everything yeah. else is pretty is pretty <laughs> legit. Hello and welcome to Rocket. I am Brianna Wu. I am, uh, gosh, this is weird introducing myself like this. I am a Democratic candidate for Congress. I'm also a software engineer. I am joined this week by Christina Warren, who is Senior Cloud Developer Advocate at Microsoft. Is that right? You got it. I got it on my first try. Well, I've heard Simone say it like on repeat for like a year now. So that does help quite a bit. This is true. Yep, it is. And we are also joined today by Taylor Lorenz. I am so freaking happy to finally have you here on Rocket. We talk forever. Yeah. I know. I'm such big internet fans of both of you guys. So I'm so honored (laughs) to be here. (laughs) Well, we're stoked to have you, um, especially uh, since uh, we do enjoy the teens and and, and the YouTubes and the dramas. We do. And, uh, and, and, and actually, if, if we couldn't have Simone this week, based on what we're going to talk about, you were the perfect guest. So thank you so much for joining us. Oh, yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me. So, so you're the senior tech and culture uh, reporter over at Daily Beast. And you're also the person that broke the erotic robot story at, uh, <laughs> at CES this year, which yes. we talked about quite a bit. So... Yes, that was a highlight. It was also my first time at a strip club. So that was a milestone for me. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I Girl, I think seriously. I tweeted that and deleted it because people were like, "You're a nerd," and I was like, "I don't, I don't <laughs> well, know." I mean, I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm in no way judging. I'm just. But you lived in DC for a long time, right? Are, are yes. you? And and, yes. and and so yeah. So this is why I'm surprised because <laughs> there are there are a lot of there are a lot of uh, places in, in in the DC and surrounding area for sure. Um, yeah, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, where like hip hop, you know, tests out their songs in the yeah. clubs. So I'm I've definitely been to been to strip clubs before. <laughs> well, now well, it's yeah. also I mean, I grew up next door in Mississippi and just there's very little to do. You know, you've got well, you can go to the high school football game, you can go to a strip club, you can you know, what we did was we got drunk and drove uh construction equipment around, which was very exciting. That sounds so, amazing, actually. It was. I have stories like I I I'm I just I put them out there in running for office because I know they're going to get out there anyway. <laughs> so Smart. when I was, I'm going to tell you all a story. When I was, uh, I think it was 16 years old, I spent a summer learning how to pick locks so we could get into Brody's grandfather's uh, tar pit, 
where they were like removing trees and all of that. And there were all these construction equipment. There were bulldozers and dump trucks and, you know, like all this awesome equipment to like knock down trees. And then we would go out there and get completely drunk and then drive around in the sand pit, drunk out of our mind, operating like buzz saws and things like that. And then Joseph fell in the fire one weekend and oh all that came to, oh came to an end. <laughs> so. Yeah, at that point, everybody was like, yeah, you know what? Um, that was fun. And we're yeah. not going to do that anymore. That was- <laughs> we should find something else to do. Yeah, exactly. Everybody's like, cool. We're, we're, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> we're good. So, I mean, speaking of speaking of mayhem, I mean, let's uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want to talk about the flamethrower. I yeah, want to let's just, go, let's just switch, open with it. I, I'm with you. Let's rock it up. Yeah, let's talk about this. So, uh, you know, this week, uh, Elon Musk, uh, he has many, many different uh, ventures. He has PayPal. He is, uh, you know, he has SpaceX. Tesla. And he in Tesla, uh, which is still not financially profitable, and I'm concerned about the Model 3. Uh, but he also has the boring company, which it's either an environmental catastrophe or a traffic saving tool, depending on how you look at it, where basically wants to tunnel underneath large cities and create a uh, second layer of infrastructure, sort of a pay-as-you-go infrastructure to move your car around very quickly. Um, and one of the ways he's trying to raise money for that is he's put out official hats and then he unveiled an official flamethrower this week. So we could get into the critique of it, but I, I want to hear from you first, Christine. What is your hot take about the Elon Musk flamethrower? How I do you feel it, about that? I mean, I think it's brilliant. As I said on yeah. Twitter, I, I, I think I came very close, like not joking to buying one. This is me who yep. spent the majority of last week's episode complaining about the $350 HomePod, which granted, I, I still don't see the, the value in it. I think that I would rather get two Sonos ones for the same price. Um, but, you know, it at least does something like plays music, whereas this is $500 and is basically a glorified blowtorch with like a trigger on it. <laughs> um, and I don't care. Yeah, I want I one. Actually was- I was actually a little sad because, so I don't, I mean, flamethrower to me, like, I thought it was going to be, like, projecting, like, f- balls of flames, and it really is <laughs> just a blowtorch, which is fine. Well, but yeah, I, but that's I, how I, they can sell I, it, right? Like, totally right. I mean, yes, it's the same, I mean, if, if we're honest, like, this is the same way that, like, hoverboards didn't actually hover. They were, right. you know, they were, they were Chinese made, like, you know, um, uh, Segway uh, knockoffs with batteries that weren't well vetted. Um, that could blow up, but, but they didn't hover, yeah. uh, but they were fun and calling them a hoverboard yes. certainly sounded better than, you know, totally whatever else you would call it. So, I mean, in this case, I'm kind of, I'm all about the branding. Also, I love the fact that it just says boring company. And then looking at the video of the people <laughs> in their office, just like using the flamethrower as they're like sitting on that little like wall rock wearing the, the, the boring company hats. I was like, yeah. I want to do that. So I, I'm not even joking in the fact that I've come very close. And even as we're talking now, I'm like, my, my finger is like on the buy button. Um, Same. Same. But, but <laughs> I, I, but I know myself and I know that like, that's just, uh, that's just throwing good money after bad, or I, bad money I after good, know, whatever. I, I have quite a few Nerf guns. I love to collect Nerf guns and I love to hunt my husband in the house <laughs> with the Nerf gun when he's not looking. And I know this has caused great pain in my marriage and I just don't think of flamethrower. <laughs> 
would would help our marriage very much anyway. And you know, it's like you said, like Ars Technica did a breakdown of this product, and you know the casing of it is very clearly derived from an airsoft rifle. And you know, as far as the torch itself, it's really just a, a fancy torch that gardeners use to like burn weeds or you know solidify tiles on the roof. So you know, it's really stretching the definition of flamethrower. Yes, but uh, but it's still cool <laughs> as hell. And and these are the things like Elon. I I, I want to get your take, uh, Taylor. Like, I feel like this is why Elon can get away with being so cray because he's great at Twitter. <laughs> uh, we used yes. to de- we used to interview him all the time at Gizmodo because he followed uh, the Gizmodo Twitter account. So anytime we wanted to get comment from him on something, we would just DM him and then publish the DMs as an article. Um, and he was fully aware of that. Like there was, there was no, uh, that's uh, amazing. There, there, there was, there was no like, uh, confusion there. And I think like, like Sophie's last post before she left was uh, about him because he talked about how great chairs were and she wanted <laughs> to get more insight from him into that. And, and we would sometimes press him pretty hard on things. We were like, why are you doing this? And, and he would, he would give like, he would, he would make pithy comments on Twitter and then like defend them to us in the DMs. So he's great. But I think the reason he gets away with all of his, let's, let's face it, like, you know, BS sometimes is because of stuff like this, because he makes outlandish claims and like, oh, Tesla, the Model 3 is going to go into major production or or even like the Model S, right? Or the Model X. And it's like, no, uh, your 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 supply chain is is not okay. Uh, your um, assembly line is is not together. But I don't know. I, I'm always willing to give him a pass because of stuff like this, because who else is going to come out with $500 flamethrowers? Literally no one else. Yeah. I I do have to say what concerns me about this, though, is I realize that, like, logically, I know this is a publicity stunt and it's to, you know, build up name recognition more than anything else, you know. But what gets me is someone that's had a lot of meetings with, uh, you know, public transportation officials around Boston this year is, you know, the $5 million that he's raised uh, to do this, it's... That's like that. That's like a foot of tunnel, right? Like it's nothing, especially right. if you're talking about really underground work. And it's just, it's so misleading to be like, yeah, these flamethrower sales are going to help us like get to start on this work. And it's just, it's, it's, it's a joke, right? No, you're dead on. It is. It's like if, if he sells all twenty thousand, that's ten million dollars. And <laughs> as you said, that's that's not just a drop in the bucket, like. That that's not even getting to the bucket stage. That's like that's ten million dollars. That's a contractor who's drawing you a diagram of what the bucket might eventually look like. Yep. Yeah, so. absolutely. So uh, we're doing this this topic kind of in reverse this week. We're eating the dessert first. So Taylor, your beat at daily uh, at the Daily Beast. It's kind of uh, you know it's about you know YouTube culture, uh, and we kind of wanted to expand this topic out, like uh, and talk about some recent pranks have been going on with YouTube involving danger. So do you want to do you want to take that? Yeah. Um, so basically, yeah. So I write a lot about, um, YouTube culture, social media influencers and social media influencers, uh, YouTube stars have kind of come under fire recently. Um, cause people have sort of started to finally pay attention to like what they're doing basically. Um, <laughs> so, so, you know, I think like the sort of pivotal moment recently was Logan Paul filming a dead suicide victim's body. Um, and, and putting it huge, in the thumbnail. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. he yeah. totally did it for clickbait. Classy. Very yeah. classy. Um, 
And so, you know, obviously there was huge backlash. He's, you know, issued his apology, um, took a, a three-week Twitter hiatus. Um, and sort of in light of that, there's been now more scrutiny on other sort of popular trending videos. So, you know, just uh, several days ago, there was this backlash around a YouTuber who was staging fake um, acid attacks in London, um, where actually it's a huge problem and the city's been plagued by um, these kind of acid attacks. So it was really terrifying for people and there was huge backlash and, uh, you know, his videos got taken down and YouTube issued a strike on his channel. And one of the things that he said in his non-apology video was, um, well, first of all, he said his content wasn't made for boring old people. And (laughs) um, which um, he also said, like, I've done a lot more messed up things on on my channel. And he said, you know, you guys didn't care a year or two ago when I was calling in fake bomb threats for views. And mm. now, like, now you suddenly care. And I thought it was so funny because I was like, well, now you've, you know, put scrutiny on your channel. And he was also stealing people's iPhones. I mean, this guy was like, doing a bunch of messed up stuff to get views. And he said, you know, I've been a popular YouTuber for three years. Why am I getting out called out now? And I, I think he, I think that's a fair point. Like I, I can understand the frustration, I guess. It's also like that was never acceptable. Um, or never should have been acceptable. Do you think it's a fair point though? I don't I know if I can agree fair, with that. I think it's a fair point that like, look, YouTube should have taken like this should have he shouldn't have been doing this stuff at the beginning. But I can understand his frustration where it's like YouTube has been so they they apply their community guidelines so unevenly. And you know, a lot of creators feel, which I think they are justified in the fact in the sense that like YouTube does not moderate its content well. Like I, I think that they're sort of struggling with it and they're struggling with how to deal with some of this content that's like, it's not a beheading video. Like there's nothing explicitly problematic about it. It's just like borderline offensive in certain contexts. And especially with pranks, like some of them are dangerous, but they're not necessarily like violating specific clauses. Um, sure. So yeah, so I kind of like understand his point in the sense that like, he's right that YouTube applies their like community guideline standards like very unevenly and it's very haphazard and it's very arbitrary. I mean, so, I, I, I mean, guess the way I feel is like mm-hmm. YouTube has really grown to a point where, you know, it's legit. It's legitimately one of the most watched things on my Apple TV. Like it's a really mm-hmm. big station. Well, it's, it's the it's, number two it's search really... engine in the world. The number one search yeah. engine is is Google. The number two search engine, and this has been the case for years, is YouTube. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's so huge. And like now that they're kind of like, I mean, it's only been the last few years. They've really done these big ad deals with people and really you know, making people like the face of YouTube in a way that's really hit the public consciousness. And I think as that's really growing in popularity, I think we're now getting some questions raised. And I think if you look back at the history of like, you know, the internet, it was anything goes. And then we kind of started putting limits on it or, you know, the use of the telephone, like they started to figure out ways that you could call in threats on there or how they may need like 911 as a service. To me, this is like a very organic part of, you know, a communication infrastructure growing. Yeah. And it's, it's just growing pains to me. 
I mean, I would agree with you on that, but I would also kind of point out that I think, and, I, and I, this is the only time I think that creators kind of have a point. I still don't think that, that it's valid for them to say, oh, I should continue to be able to do this stuff because if it's against terms of service, which a lot of this stuff is, it's against terms of service. Whether it was enforced or not is, 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 is Completely. you know, you know it is, is moot, right? That doesn't matter. If it's Completely. against terms of service, which this sort of stuff would be, then you shouldn't be allowed on there. It doesn't matter how good or how bad of a job they've done, um, you know, uh, tracking stuff before. I would say though, I think where I kind of um, side with the creators a little bit, or at least understand their 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 point of view, is that for a long time, not only did YouTube not care about policing their own terms of service, but they didn't have any qualms against letting people. Um, monetize this sort of content. Now, right. since, now, all, yeah. now, since the PewDiePie scandal with Wall Street Journal last year, um, that has changed because that was the first time that advertisers, and I spoke to a lot of them at the time, um, a, a lot of them on background, some of them you know, on the record, some of them off, but I talked to a lot of big advertisers and they really were not happy because Google or YouTube, I guess rather, had made this this huge push over the last few years of really getting the the big advertising agencies on board to say, we have a premium product, the same as television. They were basically selling it the same way, saying we've got this 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 younger demographic, but we are offering everything that you would want to get from from you know these other channels, and we should be getting the same CPMs and 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 getting you no know, big um, you know top tier advertisers on it. The problem that YouTube has always had, and what most people don't understand about YouTube, even people who cover it, I, I know you do, Taylor, but a lot of people don't. Even people who like watch the, like you know watch the stuff is that yeah. with very few exceptions, and I mean very few, I mean like minute. The, the YouTubers themselves, the channels themselves, and the advertisers themselves do not have a choice over who, what, after what they are advertising on. So yeah. it's a blanket ad buy. It's all, it's all uh, programmatic. So the, you know, Coca-Cola doesn't have a choice to say, I don't want to advertise on this channel or I only want to advertise on this channel. And that's been yep. part of their design. That is different from every other ad buy. That is different from every other market. And it's a fundamental difference. And it's one of the reasons that kept the big people away from YouTube for so long is that they were like, why am I going to do this, this, you know, programmatic big bucket ad buy when I don't even know what my content is. And then YouTube eventually convinced them, oh no, but we've got these demographics and you're going to get these views. And then the Wall Street Journal does investigations and, and says, okay, well, you know, these videos that have all this traffic where somebody is paying someone $5 to write, you know, um, you know, the N word or, 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 you know, mm -hmm. kill certain people, you know, on um, a, a piece of paper and dance around it and laughing at it, that's acceptable. And that you're, you're advertising on this and, and advertisers are going, oh, hell no, because, you know, people say, oh, I want to boycott these advertisers. So part of this, I think I understand where the creators are getting upset because they're saying YouTube didn't care. They didn't police it. And they were letting me make money off of it. Now they are finally starting to really, you know, um, put up um, new barriers to entry for anybody making money. They are being much more um, strict and stringent for people who are part of the YouTube, you know, the most elite partner tier program, mm -hmm. you know, vetting all that content themselves, which will never scale. Um, but it doesn't change the fundamental problem that they've kind of changed the rules halfway through the game. So people who thought that, because YouTube was taking advantage of it, right? Like they didn't care as long as Completely. they were getting traffic and as long as they were selling ad buys, they didn't care until they had bad publicity, which I think is why I'm kind of critical of YouTube in this because their entire response to Logan Paul to this new thing, to all the criticism they've had going back to PewDiePie um, has been basically because they don't want to take the PR hit, not because they actually care about the content of their, exactly. of their service. Exactly. And I feel like that, that they've shown that too. Cause like the, I mean, 
I feel like it's just been so reactionary and it, and, and, you know, you've allowed a lot of these creators that have been producing problematic content to scale to such a insane level, um, at this point and, and monetize and make a lot of money to the point that their, you know, primary income is YouTube. And now you, you know, you have these people that are making somewhat problematic content with massive audiences, hundreds of millions, and they're getting frustrated because they're like, like you said, it's changing the rules halfway through the game. Um, and, you know, I, I think, yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I agree with what you said, Brianna, Brianna, it is like somewhat growing pains. Like all these platforms are evolving and like, there's no way to really successfully monitor or successfully monitor like, you know, every piece of content. But I do think that there should be a higher scrutiny for people that are in the Google preferred program. And if you are in that top tier of influencers, or if you reach a certain audience, like you should be held to, you know, Held, held to the same community guidelines that everyone should be held to. But I think that there should be more scrutiny around that. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you, they, they shouldn't be auto featuring these people. Sorry. But, you know, like Logan yeah. Paul, to go back to him, like they featured him. They featured his videos. Yeah. Well, these are a lot of these people and, you know, other YouTubers that have sort of been criticized recently. These are people that were all in their YouTube rewind video. Yep. A lot of them have yep. YouTube red deals. Like YouTube fosters these creators. And then it's like the media, you know, they get media blowback for a video. And then suddenly it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, we're distancing ourselves or whatever. And, um, and it's, I just think it's disingenuous. I think that they should, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I don't have much empathy for that. I really don't. <laughs> and I, I say yeah. as someone, I'm in the public eye, I get critiqued about stuff yeah. nonstop, absolutely nonstop. I'm dealing with someone like, uh, that's just about borderline stalking us right now. It's so ridiculous, oh but it's like we filed FEC documents tonight. And I know as soon as I file those documents, we're going to have, you know, Kiwi Farms and, you know, Gamergate and the alt-right going over that with a fine-tuned comb. Like last time we did this, they're going through the freaking sandwich shop I ate at Potbelly and like screaming at me about it. Like that's the level of scrutiny that I get. And if I make a mistake on those forms... I don't get to go, oh, this is so unfair. Like, oh, they're looking at me. They're scrutinizing me. It's like, no, like I've got to do the right thing. Or like even here on Rocket, you know, we we work to keep this show to be, you know, we talk about things, but it's nothing that's going to like embarrass anyone to be advertising with us, you know, like that's that's just being a pro. Right. But they jump through hoops and they go to extreme levels to make sure that they're not violating like specific content guidelines like you'll notice like even in the the logan paul suicide video like he's he's not cursing they're bleeping out the curse words like they 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 know what's going to get them like blacklisted and demonetized and they try to work around those guidelines and i think now and and the guidelines have been changing or been enforced differently they've been enforced differently and they've been enforced unevenly and especially when it comes to prank content it's been it's like it's like the wild west like it's just sort of like whatever it is and if there's a media storm around it then you're in trouble so right like like i think it like like it took the new york post i think it was who broke the the daddy of five scandal right like it wasn't until that happened and i know that some other youtubers i know like philip defranco and people like that were harping on it but i honestly think as much as credit as the youtubers like to try to give themselves that was the new york post and that was washington post who were were kind of leading that story but it wasn't until that happened that they were that they even pulled that channel and now those those really terrible people are back with a channel, you know, that has hundreds of thousands of followers that is apparently monetized or is getting sponsors and YouTube doesn't care. You know, who's not a terrible person? 
our sponsor this week, Squarespace. <laughs> this, this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Squarespace. Enter offer code ROCKET at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique, with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. Maybe you want to create an online store. Maybe you want to create a portfolio. Maybe you want to create a blog. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has you covered. So these are all the things that Squarespace has. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support. I've used that. It's awesome. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, and you get all of these award-winning templates. They're beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. Something I really like about Squarespace is uh, if you sign up for the email along with the domain, they give you Gmail access with it, which has two-factor authentication on it, which means you can actually get a very, very secure email site along with that. So, Christina, what have you used Squarespace for? So, it's uh, what I have, um, my my long abandoned, but we, we need to bring it back in some capacity, podcast, The Basic Bitches yes. Guide to Life. Yes. Uh, that, that, I, that I do with my, my, my good friend, Allie Keeves, uh, or excuse me, Allie Ellis. She has taken oh, a married name. That's weird. Uh, that's I, weird. It is. It is. Uh, but, but, but I support her choices. Um, I, I, I didn't take my <laughs> husband's name, but I support her choice to, although he kind of took mine, but I, I support her choice to take uh, Jonathan's. Um, and uh, we, we created a Squarespace site for our podcast and it was super easy. And it was one of those things where, because we didn't want to go through the hassle of even having to, um, I mean, I, I could have hosted it myself. I could have done any number of things, but I just used Squarespace, made it pretty. And then what's great about it for podcasts, I just upload the audio. It connects really easily to iTunes and, and, and Google uh, podcasts and all that stuff um, to make it easy for people to, to download, to use RSS, to do whatever. Um, and, yep. and it's all serving it from Squarespace. Squarespace handles all that work, and it's great. It is great. It is great. And we thank Squarespace for their support. Squarespace, make your make next move, make your next website. So second topic today, I am not as good at that as Simone is, like even by a long shot. Let's go, like, back, to the, let's could... go back to the other topic real quick because I have one question okay, for Taylor. Sure, sure, Sorry, sure. So, go so ahead. Before yeah. we move on to the, the, the second topic, which is really interesting. Um, Taylor, what was the YouTube community's kind of response to this? Because I saw some of like the, the news channels and the drama channels responding the way that they normally do. But was there anybody who was supporting this this prankster or was it all pretty much... Like, yeah, well, this, I mean, the pranks look like he had, I think, I don't know, 650,000, um, subscribers, which is not small, but it's not like he was a Logan Paul. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Um, totally. Like, like he, he was, he was making some money, but it's not like he had like millions of followers. Yeah. And he wasn't the kind of like day to day. He was like a true plank prank vlogger. So I don't even think he had the kind of engaged like fan base, like that Logan has where like, it's, you know, this sort of like rabid like fandom. Um, so I actually felt like he didn't get as much support. There were other small prank channels that had done similar pranks that kind of were like nervously supporting him, I felt, but I actually sort of also seemed like nobody wanted to touch it because, um, people were scared that it was going to draw attention to their own channels. Sure. I, yeah. So I talked to one, um, other person that runs a sort of smaller prank channel and he was just like, immediately like hiding all of his old videos, like didn't want to, you know, was paranoid that it's because he had done a sort of a similar 
prank to one of the other guys and was just sort of like nervous that that would come up in search and he would get on YouTube's bad radar and, you know, that would be the end. So I think it's made, it's definitely, I think all of this media attention just over the past year since PewDiePie, like it's made creators more aware, but it can feel like walking on or through a minefield. Cause it's like, you basically like that. I mean, that water, that acid attack water prank, like that video was up for weeks right. before, before anybody, the media got a hold of it. So right. it's just, right. Which and I he'd mean, been monetizing and it. even monetizing it. And, and, um, obviously, you know, they, they give him a strike. It's interesting. Cause I wonder, I'm not sure what the laws are in, are in England. I know that, um, in the United States, we passed certain laws, um, like certain anti-terrorism laws in, in the wake of 9-11. And I know this because this girl I went to high school with was the first person, I think, charged with one of those laws because she put fake anthrax under someone's door. And um, this was like right after 9-11 when people were doing yeah. like, the anthrax scares. And, and she they thought it would be funny to put fake anthrax, like what, yeah. what they said was anthrax under someone's door. And, and she um, was obviously arrested and in charge under certain statutes. I wonder if, if these, you know, YouTube pranks with, with acid thing, if that violates yes. any sort of, you know, uh, British laws. Okay. So first of all, it's assault. And actually a woman was um, charged with assault in the UK um, just not too long ago for, for sport, um, pouring water in somebody's face. And it's been a thing where, you know, several people have sort of pulled similar pranks, not for vlogs, but just in real life in London and been charged. And it's, it's considered assault. So, um, you know, you, people definitely take it seriously. I mean, who knows like what sort of sentencing that carries? I don't know. It's definitely not, I mean, calling him bomb threats, which is what he was doing in one of his other videos. Like that's definitely, oh yeah. Yes. Swatting rules. Totally. Stealing people's iPhones, even if you give it back to them 10 minutes later and say, oh, it was a vlog prank. Like that's still, you're, it's still theft of someone's property. Um, and, Yeah, you know, there's another one too where he's pulling down people's pants, which is absolutely not so, okay. So how does yeah. he sell the channel? Because it seems like the only thing that really happened was that he got a slap on the wrist, he got a strike, which will eventually yeah. disappear, um, and the videos were pulled. But yet he still has a channel. Why Why is that the case, do you a think? A lot of his other videos haven't been pulled too. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, I, I, that's that's up to YouTube. But um, yeah, I think that, that I think the fact that he does still have a channel – uh, and I had one, I think, as of yesterday. I haven't checked today, but it seems like it seems like the strike was issued, and you know that was it. Um, but I, I think that just goes to show that it, I mean, YouTube is hesitant to kick people off the platform if it's. I think in this sort of like prank realm, I think if it's like maybe he had been doing more sort of like direct online harassment, who knows? But I just think it speaks to the fact that they, it's all so arbitrary and it's all so uneven and. I don't think, you know, I don't know. He probably, he shouldn't have a channel probably. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I just, um, I just feel like, I mean, I'm, I'm not in any way de- de- defending this guy, but I mean, you know, like I think that, you know, Keemstar was famously like not allowed on for a long time, although he now is allowed to kind of maintain his own channel even, publicly. And, yeah. and when I believe that the reason he was kicked off wasn't because of the immense harassment that he kind of put towards other people, but it was because yeah. he was running some sort of gaming uh, thing that turned out to kind of be like a money-making scam. And, and that was where they were like, oh, okay, well, well, you committed some <laughs> yeah, sort of financial fraud. They so didn't, that, even, they didn't even like, they didn't take down his channel. I think he just like, he wasn't supposed to be the one running it. And then it was right. like revealed he was running it. And he was like, yeah, fine. I was just running it. And then like, <laughs> there right. was no problem. Like they kind of whatever. Yeah. So, um, oh my goodness. Yeah. It's right, just, it was, it's all insane. It's and insane. Not, and 
they need to just they need to get it more organized. That's all. I, I would saying. definitely agree with that. They need to come up with some clear standards. Remember this with the app store, Christina? Yep. Like it was kind of the Wild West. And, it was, and they came know, in they, really quickly. They put, I, together, they put together some standards, and it, it, did. it, it was uh, imperfect, it was, but, but, it, but it helped it, things. It, yeah. it took, it took, there were a couple of instances. There was the I Am Rich app um, yep. that did nothing, and they pulled that really quickly. Um, there was the, the, the Shake the Baby app. Uh, which oh, was God. terrible. Uh, oh. That was really, oh. really repulsive. And uh, where, where it was like an image of a baby, and you shake the iPhone, and and if you shake a certain number yeah. of times, it was awful. But you know, but that was pulled quickly. There was, you know, obviously um, uh, what's still in place and, and was kind of criticized, uh, you know, because prudish standards of, of you know not allowing types of nudity and other things, and 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 there was kind of concern about how, whether or not that could kind of extend to you know in-app purchases or types of art or things like that, which are you know a little bit different than than you know just selling like hardcore, you know, pornography through the app store. But yeah, you're right. The app store, you know, they faced some of those things early on. I would say what they did well was that they were able to, when they were critiqued, immediately create rules to prevent that stuff from happening. And I think that's yeah, the, the thing agree. that I'm going to be really critical of YouTube of is that they haven't done that. Like they, they get embarrassed and they make it harder for people to make money or be part of their ad programs, but they don't really do anything in terms of, you know, um, toughening up their algorithm to stop people from uploading stuff, and and they certainly don't do anything when it comes to you know de-incentivizing. You got to think why are people doing all this stuff? And and there's been this rush, I think, to have bigger and bigger pranks, bigger and bigger, you know, uh, larger and larger things, you know, go, being more and more epic, you know, savage as the kids say. Um, and <laughs> and it's all about you know pushing those boundaries, and it's it's because that's what gets views, that's what gets subscribers. And YouTube hasn't done anything to curb that, so you eventually see people going into a place where they think it's okay to film a dead body in a in, in a suicide forest and make fun of that, or they feel like it's perfectly acceptable to have a prank where you go into a city that has dealt with actual acid attacks and make people think that they're being hit in the face with acid. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I think that's well said. Uh, so the next topic today we've got to get to is uh, we're actually talking about more that's tied into social media as well. So the New York Times ran a um, a really interesting investigative piece this week. Uh, it was the high cost of lots of followers. And what they did was they, they basically researched uh, some of these companies that create uh, basically fake followers for people to add to their Twitter account. And, you know, when uh, it might seem very innocuous uh, at the first glance, but if you dig down a little deeper on it, they had instances of, uh, you know, underage girls having their profile picture taken mm-hmm. and then used to market pornography. So, you know, this really is a weird, um, it's a really weird and seedy um, way for people to basically purchase followers. Um, we'll get into this deeper in the story. Like some of them were a little bit more innocuous, like one of the Real Housewives cast members, like buying followers, um, you know, all the way to uh, a longtime movie critic essentially being suspended about that. So, yeah, Taylor, I wanted to start with you on this. Like, what what was your take on this piece? I I was amazed by it. You know, like, I feel like so much has been, or like, you know, as people who spend a lot of time on Twitter, it's like everyone knows that, you know, there are people, there are these like networks where you can buy followers. Like, you know, I think some people at BuzzFeed did a stunt where they, you know, bought followers and kind of wrote about it. We're doing it as pranks for a while. Like, 
but I thought their investigation into it was just so thorough. And I love the graphics on the yeah, articles. The layout was yeah. amazing. It was yeah. amazing. And I just felt like it like brought this depth to the story. And I also thought it was so interesting about the company itself and like mm-hmm. kind of how shady it was. Um, and yeah, it made me, I guess, look at a, a lot of different accounts. Uh, it made me look, it made it, it, it brought to light, like, where you don't realize how prevalent it is. You know, you see some celebrities with like, two, you know, 200,000 followers and you're like, okay, whatever, sure. But you realize it sort of like feeds into this larger system. Um, and like you said, you know, there are some really like kind of nefarious things going on. So, um, yeah, I, I guess I was, I was just really amazed by how thorough it was. And it made me think differently about the whole kind of, um, industry. I wrote a lot uh, when I was at Business Insider about like the Instagram apocalypse, which is when uh, Instagram was trying to clear all these bot accounts and all of these celebrities lost millions of followers. And um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's you know, awesome! I, I missed that story. That's great. Uh, yeah, it was like back in like 2014 or 2015. Yeah. Um, and you know, Instagram was making this this effort to clean up spam and. Uh, so I interviewed a bunch of the, um, you know, different like people that had sort of produced these spam bots and stuff. And they said like, this is only going to get more sophisticated. It's not going away. And I think you've seen that. Like, it I did. think that yeah. it's just become this like network of, of, um, of companies. And obviously the one that they provide, I don't know if you say it, right. Davumi or, Davumi I don't know or whatever. It. Yeah. No, it yeah. was so interesting. Like you said, Brie, like it was kind of creepy because I'd always thought like, I think like you, Taylor, like I'd always assumed that most of these fake accounts were like glorified eggs, you know, bot name, uh, maybe, you know, uh, stock photo or no photo and just kind of maybe not acting like any real account. Whereas these bots now, you know, they're using real photos, real descriptions, you know, changing one character and a username that look like real Twitter accounts. And then they are giving them behavior so that they kind of look like regular things. Like they tweet out, you know, they're, they're bots, but they, they tweet and retweet certain things and they have interactions, they fave things and, and it's, uh, or like things, whatever, you know, Twitter calls it now. And, uh, I'm going to call it faving forever. I don't care. Um, and, uh, so they, uh, they, they do that. And, and it's really interesting because, you know, unless you're looking at it in big trend, uh, uh, you know, analysis the way that they did, sometimes you might not know if, if an account is a bot just by kind of looking at it because they're, they're and they're also, I, I should, I should point out plenty of legitimate accounts who use automated tools to, you know, automatically tweet things and, you know, share links or whatnot. I was just about to say, I think it's kind of blurred the line. Like I, you know, I remember when there was this like trend also, there's a bunch of like media people that were using Buffer to kind yeah. of like schedule their tweets and, or, you know, like, yeah, engage in, in, um, you know, retweeting things or certain times or pushing out content. And I feel like that behavior is kind of like blurred and you can't always tell what's a bot, you know, like it's just, it's, it's bizarre. And I think it's only getting more sophisticated. And I think Twitter, I I do have to, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Oh no, nothing. I just, I'm curious to see how Twitter responds and deals with this kind of like problem. I, I think something I would say about this is we've done a lot of investigation about Twitter bots and behavior uh, at my game studio, uh, specifically in regards to Gamergate. Like um, mm-hmm. one of the tactics that uh, the alt-right really perfected early on was buying followers and buying uh, people to tweet one message or retweet one message over and over again. So we would have uh, people, it would like link to the same you know, like a Twitter screenshot and would like just tweet this at me and anyone that tweeted at me all day, every day. It was basically automated harassment. Like Twitter worked very hard in back channel to, 
get rid of that. But I think if you're kind of widening this problem out to like election interference and making it look like there's mass support for certain policies or certain candidates, I I do believe that this can fundamentally undermine uh, democracy. I I do one of the things that, and I'd love to get your opinion on this, Christina. I was thinking about this. I think we'd all agree the grossest part of this is, you know, tying it to someone that's underage's account and using it to promote weird things. I've seen technology that kind of, uh, there's a YouTube video that takes pictures of celebrities and morphs them into like one after the other. And it's just like beautiful pictures of people all day long. It never quite becomes a, a celebrity. So it's basically merging two photos together to get like a new one using like neural networking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if they did something like that, do you think you'd feel better about this? Do you think you'd feel like yeah. it was okay? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't feel like it's okay, but I would feel like it was not a real person. Um, yeah. yeah, Facebook actually released a paper on that um, in in 2017 using neural networks, um, and, and uh, it was funny because they used Snap's own um, Bitmoji as part of the the basis. The idea was to kind of <laughs> analyze celebrity faces to create um, Bitmoji like characters, um, and and to create kind of like 3D avatars in, in VR worlds. Um, it, it was an interesting paper, but yeah, I would feel better about that because I, I agree. I think that. On the whole, I'm not overly bothered by celebrities buying followers. If if that's going to happen, you know, whatever. I understand that there might have to be some sort of investigation if, you know, it's violating any sort of like FTC stuff because you are supposed to um, disclose when you have SpawnCon and that sort of thing. And, and, I, and I can see that that might, you know, do stuff. How at, what, what the ethical concerns are. I mean, look, whatever. Um, I, I don't think, I don't feel like Richard Roper being suspended is necessarily a, a fair, yep. uh, I, I don't feel like that's a fair penalty for him. I feel like there are a lot worse journalism sins that you can commit than, than buying Twitter followers, especially since he didn't buy that many. Um, but, you know, like all that aside, what's interesting to me, my favorite kind of anecdote in the, in the New York Times story was that it's not just people buying followers, but even buying retweets like Clay Aiken, who I can't stand yes. uh, for the record, bought like people to retweet his his personal like complaint against Volvo because apparently Volvo wouldn't let him have the car he wanted or something. And, and it, he has some sort of beef with Volvo and he bought yeah. retweets, which to me is just like, wow. That's petty. That well, I mean, petty. It, and that, that's why he lost his, his uh, you know, election um, for reasons <laughs> like that, honestly. Like that, 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 that's why like nobody takes him seriously. That's petty as all get out. But I loved it. That was like my, one of my favorite anecdotes. I was like, oh, hell yeah. Um, it's interesting though. I want to take, get your take on this, Taylor, like, because the only part of this that I kind of could feel like why people might, you know, be outwardly like, like righteously angry aside from having your own, you know, photo for underage person, you know, used mm-hmm. as a fake account because that's gross you know because because you you do cover influencers i mean so many the the, the spawn con deals you you get are like completely based on your follower count so if somebody's mm-hmm. buying you know followers to to reach the threshold where they can then you know like promote booty or or whatever fit tea or whatever yeah. like doesn't that kind of undermine that entire ecosystem that is built up like this entire economy which is all around followers if you're if, if this investigation is proven that on twitter yeah i think it's more and more around engagement though because like i do think that like advertisers are getting hip to the fact that like you know because advertisers 
do a lot of paid promotion for their own stuff. You know what I mean? So like a celebrity will tweet something and then like Verizon will still put like, you know, $10,000 towards promoting that tweet, you know? So it's, I I think that, but I I do, yeah, I do think it's interesting. Like I, I feel like I, um, so many of, especially in the influencer space do so many like spammy things to get followers to begin with. Like a lot of YouTubers will just be like, okay, everyone follow me for the next 10 minutes. I'll follow back like everyone who follows me or whatever. Then they'll do like a mass unfollow. And like, they just kind of like try to game the system in, in other ways. Um, obviously, a lot of them definitely buy followers too. I feel like it's more of a thing on Instagram to have like a big number on Instagram um, than Twitter. Like most, like even some really big people on YouTube like don't have huge Twitter followings and it's kind of like whatever. But I feel like they take Instagram more They take heart, Instagram more and seriously. And, and has yeah. Instagram done a better job at vetting out this stuff? I honestly don't know. I was, it's funny, like after I read this huge like Twitter thing, I was thinking like, I want to like go back to those people that I wrote about when I wrote about the Instagram apocalypse because I'm curious to see like, in my opinion, I, I I highly doubt that they've been able to ferret out all the spam bumps. I mean, like I set up a new Instagram account recently um, and it just like, was flooded by, you know, like spam bots basically. Cause I followed a bunch of YouTubers and like, there's all these just bots that will like sort of like auto follow you depending on who you're engaged with. So I definitely think it's a problem and I would be kind of like curious to see kind of like what other companies are engaging it. I, to me, I think Instagram's a much bigger platform. Like at sure. the end of the day, like Absolutely. yeah, Twitter is whatever, but like Instagram is like where a lot of these big brand deals happen and it's just, it's their way more users. And, um, I, I imagine that it's just as prevalent there. So, um, will be kind of like interesting to see like what happens or if Instagram responds to it or if they're, you know, what they're doing. I think they have a, somewhat decent handle on it but um but yeah i don't know it's really hard especially as they get you know smarter and more and uh, more realistic it's hard to kind of i think like decide yeah who's yeah because 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 what's the incentive really for a lot of these companies to even get rid of the the fake followers i mean obviously you know it looks better and and, and if investors are going to bring up um, on the earnings calls oh well how many of these are fake then they don't want to answer those questions but like let's be honest like Twitter doesn't have a huge incentive to go after these bot things. Again, kind of like YouTube, unless they're being called out by the New York Times because yeah. it makes their their top line look better. Exactly. And it's more users. And they, yeah, it's. I think that they both have a vested interest, like you said, with YouTube. Like, you know, they're both making money on both ends. So it's 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 hard. I mean, at the same time, they don't want their platform like completely over when it's, there's a right. there's a point where you know they don't want it to be MySpace. They don't want it to become like that yeah. sort of thing. But but yeah, yeah. Um, it was interesting. There was a follow up story in the Times today about the fact that the Twitter has apparently you know deleted. Oh yeah, I saw um, more that. than a million followers yeah. have disappeared from you know dozens of prominent Twitter accounts, and they called yeah. out specifically um, you know some of the ones that had been mentioned in their piece, you know, uh, uh, Clay Aiken, John Leguizamo, Lee Serpina, yes. each lost a substantial number of followers. And I was like, oh, that's great. Really? Although I, yeah. Really? Although I feel, yeah. I mean, Lisa oh, Rina, no. that, Lisa, that she does not surprise me at all. Cause no I remember her, she was a real housewife. Wasn't uh, she? No, she is. She's a, she wrote, she's a real housewife, but she was a soap star. Like she, she's, yeah. she's no shame. The reason I love her is because she has no shame. She does like the, 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 the diaper ads, the adult diaper yeah. ads. She doesn't even care. She's like me and Harry Hamlin are getting paid suck it yeah. uh, which which I, I respect the hustle like you know I wouldn't do that myself but I respect the hustle let me ask you guys this though because we've all of us here have been journalists at, at one time or another how do we feel about the Richard Roper thing because I, as I said before like I feel like the the Chicago sometimes taking 
that heavy of a stance of saying we are suspending him until we <gasps> investigate this. We're not putting his columns. I have a problem with that. I, it's I funny. Too. And then I, there was a note that was sent around. It was actually reported in the Daily Beast by our new media reporter, but my old employer, The Hill, um, I apparently like our, the editor in chief sent this note around being like, it's just as everyone knows, it's against policy and you're not allowed to buy Twitter followers. Basically, there's going to be consequences if it's found that you're buying Twitter followers. Um, and I, I thought that was interesting because, like, I mean, it's kind of like who even buys Twitter followers? Like, I feel like it's so scammy to begin with. Um, but I absolutely, he should have not been suspended. I mean, that's just, it's insane. Like, I, I, yeah, I mean, is it scammy? Is it stupid? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think like, it, it doesn't really like whatever. And he didn't even buy that many followers. I don't even remember what the number no, was. No, he didn't. He had like 200 and something thousand, like, which yeah. I would think that for Richard Roper would be fine. Right. Like I, I, I would expect that as a number, you know what I mean? Like, like Roger Ebert, who's been, who's been dead for five years. Like he had, you know, I think over a million followers. Um, Completely. Yeah. And so I would, I would think that, 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 you know, um, that Richard Roper would, would have a, a lot too. So yeah, that was what was weird to me. Um, that, that they kind of took that, that uh, mark. And like you said, I mean, th- what's interesting to me, what I would love to know about the times is how they were able to confirm, you know, the, the information like of what, you know, celebrities or, or representatives of those celebrities paid for things and what went into their decisions to disclose who did those things. Cause you have to think that there were way more people who were part of that that, that weren't yeah. disclosed. They did. And it, it sounded like they did. I mean, with a few, like they did reach out to comment. For, oh yeah. You yeah. Know, well, of course I'm, I'm not claiming that. I just, it, I, I'm just personally curious yeah. about like the, how they were able to confirm that stuff. They, it sounds like they must have had some access to, to, to Boomi's like, database, right? Yeah, completely. Um, but, but it's interesting, you know, like what they chose, to, well, who they chose on. to go after. I don't know if I agree with that, Christine, because like what we found when we, we started doing a lot of cross-sections of the followers, like tracing them from account to account. Sure. It's not, it's... It's fairly like if you find one fake follower, one person that admits to buying fake followers, like they follow a ton of other accounts. Oh, yeah, no, like no, no. Without a doubt, yeah. I know, I know Curious Web, I'm saying though that in the Times reporting, in most cases, it said that they confirmed that, that someone bought accounts from Davumi, you know, and, and oh, if you're going to, and if you're going to make, yeah. if you're going to make that claim, then you need to, I would assume you have to have access to the database or have seen emails or something like that, that you have to have access to, to be able to make that claim that they've made this purchase um, or that someone, you know, uh, associated with them. Um, but I'm just, I, it's just curious to me, like who, how they chose which people to highlight and which not to. But I felt like, yeah, I mean, the Richard Robert thing, I'm not saying that it's a good practice. I'm not saying it's okay. But to start with, until this week, he was a, a movie critic. He wasn't, you know, and, and, and he was supposed to come back as, as also doing kind of a general column, but it's not like and he, he was wasn't, a, a he didn't news reporter. Use it, right. And, yeah. He didn't use it in any kind of nefarious way. Exactly. Like, you know, like the Clay Aiken thing is, is, was ridiculous. Like, I you agree. know, and had he kind of like also maybe paid to promote his message in a certain way or something like that, I could see, but I, I don't, I, he didn't do anything. Right. I just, I think that that's like a, I don't know. I thought it was I, I feel ridiculous. like it's an overreaction trying to be like, oh, look, look, look at how journalistic we are because, you know, yeah, the, the sometimes yeah, is going yeah. through some other issues and, and, you know, kind of hiding from that fact. And it's, it's, I, I don't know. I feel like, yeah. 
I'm just happy that Richard Brepper will be able to get some sleep. And so will you if you get a Casper. And you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by our friends at Casper. Casper are the company focused on sleep, and they are dedicated to making you exceptionally comfortable one night at a time. You spend a third of your life sleeping, Christina Warren, Mm -hmm. one third. If you spend a third of your life doing anything, you'd want it to be the best it could possibly be. And that's why you, Rocket listener, need a Casper. Casper mattresses are perfectly designed for humans, not aliens, humans, with engineering to soothe and support your natural geometry. And it's got all this right support in all the right places. So what goes into making a Casper mattress so comfortable? Well, they combine multiple supportive memory phones for a quality mattress with just the right sink and bounce. Casper mattresses are designed and developed in the U.S., and their breathable design helps you regulate your body temperature throughout the night. So I am very excited because my husband and I, we are redoing our house to put our bedroom upstairs, and we are probably going to get our very own Casper mattress this week, which I'm very psyched about. So very happy about that. Awesome. Yeah, very awesome. Thank you, Casper, for sponsoring Rocket. So... Great. Uh, so our last topic today is a bit of an S storm uh, that I found myself on. And I guess I, I'm just going to tell you guys the, uh, the story. So, uh, you know, Rami Ismail um, was tweeting uh, about how thrilled he was to be accepting uh, an award at GDC this year. And uh, along with the award that he was getting, Tim Schaefer of Double Fine, like a you know an adventure game like creator mm-hmm. Uber veteran kind of guy, was going to get one. Great, I love Tim Schaefer. And then in addition, uh, Nolan uh, Bushnell, Atari's founder or co-founder, depending on which article you read, right. he was going to be getting uh, an award. And I read that tweet, and I was really shocked about it because um I'm not a huge Atari fan as you're gonna like rocket listeners know and hearing Christina I gush about the SNES. Yeah. Uh but we're I, a Nintendo you know, family like, here at Rocket. Right, exactly. I, I like Sega too. But um you know Nolan Bush now I've read books about the founding of Atari. And to call it gross and frat house-like is really an understatement. Um, So... I there was a book I'd read. It's uh, called The Ultimate History of Video Games. And it goes into some of the things he did while he was founding uh, Atari. One of the things is he would hold uh, board meetings in hot tubs. And then he would invite women up to the hot tub meetings. And then he would try to get them to uh, basically jump in the hot tub along with him. Uh, they, had a pres- they had a culture of like naming... Uh, the projects at Atari after like women at the workplace that they wanted, that they found attractive, they deliberately moved all of the, um, all of the, the women that were most attractive over to the engineering group to kind of treat it as like a, 
a harem. And I can tell you, I can't give you their names, but we've sure had a lot of conversations this week in the game industry. And I can tell you, I know women that worked at Atari in that time period that were really affected by the culture there that Nolan Bushnell created. So, you know, um, Nolan Bushnell is clearly a very, very important figure in video game history. But I saw that and I'm like, you know, other industries are reckoning with their sexual, you know, harassers and abusers. And here in the game industry where we haven't really had a Me Too movement, um, here we're, we're giving ours this giant award. So um, I made a tweet about that and we started talking about it in back channel in the game industry. And a, a huge group of women uh, came forward uh, both yesterday and today. And just this morning I woke up and saw that GDC had um, basically revoked uh, Nolan Bushnell's pioneer award. So um, I certainly think this is a, a right outcome though. There's some complications, but I mean, first Christina, like what, what do you think about that? Do you have any thoughts about this? Yeah, I do. So I, I liked what you ended up kind of saying to kind of say that, you do agree that he that he's a pioneer and would be worthy of being honored. It's just that it's the optics, especially being this year, this time when all this other stuff is happening, it's inappropriate. I, yeah. I that that's what I agree with because regard because I, I read the same books that you have and and I've seen you heard things that he said himself and um but I, I think it is fair to say that we don't have people kind of publicly coming forward the same way that we have another thing saying this is what happened you know it's all kind of been been told almost um you know braggadociously you know retellings of oh kind of look at how crazy this culture was and and uh, almost you know reverently you know shared and i think that 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 kind of covers the way it was written you can read it now and in 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 you know a different climate uh, it comes off differently but i don't think it was it was written or even intended to be written as like slamming Bushnell. Uh, that's right. a whole other problem, right? But, 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 I think, right. but I think that's, that, that's fair to point out. But I, I agree with you. I mean, I think that with everything that's happened, I think it's, as you point out, it is important that the video game industry has not had that Me Too movement yet. Despite Gamergate, despite everything else that's happened, that hasn't really hit it. Um, but given the optics of everything else that's happening, it does feel like it's not the right time to honor him. That said, I I don't totally feel comfortable. I wouldn't want to be in a position where I would say Nolan Bushnell, who for all intents and purposes is is the modern father of, of video games. You know, he he is the true pioneer in in the industry on many many levels. Um, I I would be uncomfortable erasing him from history and saying a blanket statement that he never deserves to be honored for anything. Um, I, I personally have not heard one woman in the entire game industry in any of our talks advocate that. Right. Yeah, I know it's a fear. Oh, no, I, definitely. I get uh, it. Right, right, I get right, right. I'm, yeah. I'm just saying, like, I, you know, I think that's the line, right? Like, I think that I, that's why I like... Oh, of course. I, I liked your, your statement that he deserves to have, to be honored. It's just... This isn't the right time. It's it's just bad timing. Yeah. If you look at the Pioneer Award, um, I'm trying to remember these numbers exactly, so I'm saying this off the top of my head, but they've had nine winners since 2008, and none of them have been women. And that, again, is a very bad look. Yeah, it like is. This year, I, I like two of the three men that are being honored this year quite a bit. I'm huge fans of their career. But here in the game industry, we're not having this kind of uh, reckoning. And but 
to to cover your point, Christina, we got to give credit where credit is due. Like if you've ever been to a Chuck E. Cheese yep. or done the ski ball thing, like gotten tickets at an arcade and used it for prizes, Nolan Bushnell got the idea for that when he was a teenager working at a carnival yep. and he saw how people like to work up for prizes. You know, Atari founded the modern uh, video game home system yep. market. I mean, there's so many ways that he's really yes, um, he's been a pioneer, really pushed our industry. I mean, absolutely. I mean, even you could also argue that you know he also helped kill the industry um, in in the 80s. Yep. You know, by by <laughs> by overexpanding, selling to Warner, a lot of those moves. But re- regardless, you know, exactly. I mean, Atari. I mean, that's where both Waz and Jobs worked. You know, they that's they, yeah. they, they both had had careers there, and, and and Steve Wozniak really liked Atari, and and and. Uh, you know, a, a Steve Jobs, not so much, but that, you know, there's been a lot of big people who've come from there and, and a lot of stuff was built. Like you said, you know, they were not the, it, the Atari was not the first home system, but it was the most important early home system was the first hit system. Um, yeah, you're right. Like he, he definitely is somebody that I, I don't want history to erase that. And, and as you said, no one's arguing for that, but it's bad timing. And it's certainly, I don't think in this, this climate looks good. If that's the person that you're, you're challenging. I would also say like, you know, this is the ninth year this has happened. Why is he only being honored now? You know, I, I know that doesn't solve anything, but it, it, it is kind of interesting that it's like, okay, you know, you, you've already waited all this time to honor him. What's another year? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, this is something else I would say is, and I thought Macon really nailed this in her piece at The Verge on this. She's an amazing reporter. Um, one of the really hard things about the MeToo movement is you know, there are a lot of brilliant people out there who we love their work and respect their legacies, but they also have some really, really indefensible behavior that Absolutely. has harmed others. And that's what makes this whole movement so complex. You know, like for me personally, Kill Bill Part One is one of my very favorite movies ever made. I love that movie. And then when the Miramax logo comes up, I just go... You know, like it's a, it's a gut check and we have all this art that's absolutely great. Right. The way Harvey Weinstein behaved is just absolutely indefensible. I mean, definitely, definitely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Roald Dahl, I mean, to to take something out of movies, because I I could mention Woody Allen, I could mention a lot of people, but I always think my, my personal like example always is, is Roald Dahl because. I loved his books and still love his books. Like my mom read my older sister, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory when she was pregnant with me. And I'm convinced that I heard it in the womb because I used to love that book so much. And I loved Matilda and I loved the BFG and I loved, you know, the witches. Like I loved all of those books. And he was an avowed, terrible, racist, anti-Semite. He was not a good person. And when I found that out when I was in high school, I was like gutted. You know, it's like, how, how do you approach the art after that? And that is, that's a, a com- conversation that I think is a lot more complex and nuanced than what Me Too can really do right now. And, and I'm not, certainly not asking Me Too to answer all those questions, but it is something to kind of think about because how we now assess art and, and people who have important legacies, regardless of their behavior and how we will choose to, to look at them on history, I think is important. And all I've ever said in regards to those things is I'm not saying laud people or hold them up, but don't erase that they existed because I think, I think that that's actually really dangerous. I, I think that this accomplishes something that is very pragmatic in the short term. I can't remember if I've told the story on rocket before, but, uh, 
I was at GDC a few years ago, and uh, I'm walking between Moscone East and West to get to a session. And uh, a girl is out there. Um, I say girl because I really think she was like, she was very, very, very young. And she's staying in a bikini top in the middle of the street, and she's handing out flyers for Rockstar's recruitment party. Uh, from my best guess, like this was a high school girl. Um, and like, it's a bunch of dudes and she's like out there. That's how Rockstar is choosing to professionally recruit people for one of the most, uh, you know, successfully successful financially studios in the entire world. And yet that is a workplace culture that has consequences for the people that work there. And I think that, like, by kind of denying him this award at this time, it's kind of saying, you know, here's the Me Too movement. We need to think a little bit more carefully about the way women are treated at work. And, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe these frat boy ideals from the 80s, this isn't working anymore and this isn't appropriate. So it's my hope that, like, just by delaying this award for some time, I, it's my real hope that it's going to be a really clear lesson to the men working in game development today that you know this ain't revenge of the nerds in the eighties anymore. Right, Taylor, you're quiet on this. Guys, I don't know anything about the game world. I have to be honest. <laughs> That's okay. I'm just lurking fine. and listening. Yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. I know, but I mean, I I do think like I mean I agree with everything you guys are saying. First of all, I mean. Yeah, this is not the right time. It's it's not that he doesn't deserve the award. He absolutely, like you said, Christina, it was a pioneer in the industry. But it's just it's not right this second. It's like wait a minute, maybe I don't know. It's just yeah, I don't know. I also think also it's not as if he's ever been awarded for anything before. It's not as if people don't recognize him as a pioneer. Exactly. You know, like it's not as if he's ever been gone like unquestioned. You know. Yeah, (laughs) and he's not going to be erased from history like anytime soon. No, nope. at all. So it's he's going to be fine. Um, I, I I'm eager yeah. to see if GDC is going to honor some of the women that have done really pioneering work, but yeah. have just never been recognized in the same way. I was telling Rolling Stone today, my friend Megan uh, Geyser, she basically created the genre of blockbuster games for young girls. She created the Nancy Drew series, which found its way into Walmart yep. and you know, made a ton of money. And the story you don't know about Megan is she got told no, 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 after publisher after publisher, because they just didn't want to talk, touch games for girls. And today she, uh, you know, she founds a very important diversity institute with Elizabeth Olson. So, you know, this is, this stuff really matters. And I, I would love to see GDC just being a little bit more cognizant of, you know, widening that scope about who gets awards. Because, you know, the truth is that book we're talking about, Christina, The Ultimate History of Video Games, 99% of it is men yep. interviewing other men about our field. There, there's almost and no women mentioned at all. Almost none. Almost none. And, you know, that's because of the people they're choosing to write the books. So there it is. Um, no, you had said something earlier. I don't know if you still want to address it, that there were some, you, you were unhappy a little bit with maybe some of the ways that, that, uh, the, the award recension was happening. Has that changed yeah. at all? 
Well, um, just to be really honest with you guys, I read GDC's statement and um, it it said like the Pioneer Award was being rescinded. I read that and I thought that meant that uh, Tim um, Tim Schaefer and Rami's awards were going to be rescinded. Uh, I don't think that's true. I think right. they're getting separate awards and they will be fine because – um, yeah, I would be really uncomfortable with that. You know, diversity tends to mean white women when we talk about it Definitely. in tech. And yeah, you know, Rami is one of the most prominent Muslim game developers in the world today. And I think that would be a deep injustice if he had his award, you know, taken away. No, I agree with that. So, okay, well, that's good news. Okay, so that was the only reason as I brought I that up. Yeah, as you understand, it, I'm a little confused. Okay, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I hope the GDC can clarify that because I, I certainly think that that would be the exact wrong reaction. I think that. You know, rescinding uh, Nolan's award this year is one thing, but to but to rescind the entire award or to take the the other two individuals who haven't done anything wrong, um, and and not still honor them, um, that feels like punishing them for something that is in no way um, their responsibility. All right. All right, Taylor, what are you up to this week? What are you doing? Oh God, professionally, <laughs> professionally, I know. Yes, <laughs> my life is work, so. <laughs> Uh, just honestly, just yeah, you know, a lot more YouTuber stuff. I'm actually writing a thing on Instagram right now and dating, so it's a little bit of a oh my goodness. Of pace, but how so? It's basically like about how if you are dating someone, you have an obligation to consume their content, and that's mm. sort of like mm-hmm. the social norm now. Like, oh it's, yeah, like people get upset. You know, it's like if your if your boyfriend suddenly like stops watching all your Instagram stories, like you're gonna wonder if something's wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> I do. I talk to my, I'm like, Frank, why didn't you look at that thing that I tweeted today? I definitely have those kinds of conversations. <laughs> yeah. I, yep. um, I've, I post a lot on social media. I'm single right now, but I can't wait till my next boyfriend reads this. They'll know. They'll like, okay, no, you have to, you must if, engage. You break, if, if you break the Snapchat streak, that's how I know it's over. I once found out that I was being broken up with because my our Facebook status changed before he like came over to break oh, up with no. me. Oh yeah, oh, no. oh yeah. Well, yeah. I think it's so funny because like you, you know I wrote about going Instagram official, which is like mm-hmm. basically when you post your first sort of like couples picture on Instagram, and it's like the new relationship status yes. since Facebook is sort of relevant now. Like right, and um and I just there's just so many subtleties, and as these platforms like introduce more and more features, there's just like social norms around them, and I think it's well, like you know, you, it's, it's like do you delete all the photos afterwards or do you hide them? You know, like right. what do you do? You know, because do, 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 yeah. do you pull? I mean, because you know Taylor Swift famously you know got rid of all the Calvin oh, yeah. Harris images after. After he uh, went nuclear on her um, yeah. on Twitter, which was amazing, um, yeah, but yeah. you never know because, like, <laughs> but you always look. I, I mean, even even on like, because I always look at my friends, and sometimes I'll see that they still have the old ex photos up, and I'm like, that's there's an archive feature now. There's I know an archive there is exactly. It's, it's like you can keep them in your pocket because sometimes I'd be like, I don't, you know, like I know that that if that if let's say my husband and I were starting to date now, like he would in no way be happy if I still had. No, like, and I think it's so funny because there. I think that since Instagram introduced the archive feature, like, you know, there used to be this sort of uh, thing people would say, like, oh, I don't want to delete all my memories. And now I'm like, okay, the archive button is there for a reason. If you still have it up, like, that's, you know, it's intentional. I don't right. know. Oh, so, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's just interesting to, I think, like, you know, these It's, it's intentional so or you look like really good. Like, I, I, yeah. I, 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 I kind of, <laughs> I, can, I, I can kind of understand those. I'm like, okay. I get this. I don't care about this person at all, but I look so good in this photo. I don't want to, you know, and then Instagram doesn't let you edit after the fact. So you can't blur out their face or whatever or crop them out. 
I, I actually never archive my photos. I mean, I should, but it's like, I, I don't either. I'm like, whatever. Oh um, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> if you care that much, calm down. But yeah. Um, Anyway, so I'm just awesome. writing about So where are you up to this week, Christina? So it's funny because we're talking about YouTube. And, and so at my day job, um, we are in the process of, of uploading and doing uh, putting more and more of our content on YouTube. We're still using our, our internal player, but we are slowly but surely moving more stuff to the Channel 9 YouTube page. So subscribe and follow that. Uh, turn on notifications to, to find out every time we publish content. Um, actually, today, though, I shot a video. I'm not sure when it's going to be up, um, but I actually shot a really interesting kind of little interview with the um, Office for Mac team um, talking about a milestone, a, a, an engineering milestone that's been basically 10 years in the making and that for the first time in 20 years puts all the Office products on the same core code base. Um, it's, it's a pretty big technical achievement and it's, it's, it's really good all around. So that was really fun. Um, wow. once, once that video is up, I'll obviously, uh, let the rocket listeners know. Cause, um, that sounds really awesome. Yeah, it was, oh my it, God. Uh, here, you know, what was interesting about that. Um, and that's how I knew I had to do the video when I kind of saw the story, one of the, the guys that tweeted about it and, and I saw, you know, kind of, I asked him, I was like, Oh, did you have this written up anywhere? I'd love to feature this, whatever. He said, well, no, I don't have a feature, but I spoke at a conference here and I was just going to mention it on my weekly dev news show. And then I thought about it. I was like, no, we're on campus. Why don't I just interview them? And because uh. and, and, my thought was, if I were a reporter, so if this were a year ago, I would have absolutely written a story about this. And what was cool is that now I was able to basically kind of do the same thing, do the same sort of storytelling, ask the same type of questions, but do it, you know, from an internal perspective. And, and, and we're going to be able to put that video up, you know, for all of our users to kind of learn about and whatnot. So that was really cool. That's awesome. Awesome. So as for me, uh, I'm taking a very quick trip uh, out of town with my husband. Uh, Our campaign is about to get really, really, really ridiculous. Uh, So we're going to get a little bit of last uh, marriage time together before, (laughs) before running for office actively ruins it. Um, You know, we've got the, uh, the uh, Democratic Party. uh, Basically, we're picking delegates this weekend. So it's gonna be a lot of going to conventions and shaking hands and schmoozing with people. So that's what I'm up to. Don't shake too many hands without making sure everything is, you know, clean because it is still flu season. Yeah. Yo, it's terrible. I just got over that with antibiotics. So awesome. Uh, so if you like the show, please uh, rate and review us on iTunes. Um, what else does Simone say here? I usually kind of tune out at this point. Oh, we, we asked where we can find each other online. Taylor, where can we find you online? Oh, yeah. So you can find me at Taylor Lorenz. That's at T-A-Y-L-O-R-L-O-R-E-N-Z. And, and, and Taylor, you have a new podcast, right? I want to make sure you're I able have to- a new podcast. It's called Like and Subscribe. And <laughs> um, it's myself and Julia oh. Alexander from Polygon. And it's all about YouTube culture. So if you want to know more about YouTube drama, um, follow it. Yeah, you can find it on iTunes. Or I haven't listened yet, but I'm gonna, it's, it's like my next subscribe because I can't We're wait to hear it. We're only two episodes in. And it's, only, it's a quick like 20-minute long kind of like recap on like the YouTube drama of the week. So... All right. And and you can find me at film underscore girl on the Twitters, the Instagrams, um, the Snapchats, uh, et cetera. And uh, you can uh, if you I'll put a, I'll put a link in the show notes to uh, the, the Channel 9 YouTube page if you want to follow the, the videos that we do at work and you can see me being nerdy. Bree, what about you? You can find me on the Twitter machine at Space Cat Gal. And this episode of Rocket is terminated. Terminated? Taylor, say terminated. Terminated? Terminated?